The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. So about this time, the first Brooks and Dunn album and uh, the first, uh, you know, the, I guess the, by this time the second Alan Jackson album came out, there was a television show that was on the Nashville network and it was called the American Music Shop. Mm-hmm. And so my first exposure to you and in the way a lot of people, first, the first time they saw you play was on the American Music Shop playing with Mark O'Connor and the new Nashville Cats. And you mm-hmm. played, and there was a song called Picking It Apart, which of course was crazy fast with you and... Uh, and uh, uh, Paul Franklin Matt, Matt and, and uh, Matt Rawlings and uh, yes, so and uh, Michael Rhodes mm-hmm. and uh, Paul Lyme, Paul Franklin, yeah, and so uh, so how did you how did you end up getting to play on the on that album because that was that was kind of a, a really big musician album. Yeah, it was. Was that that I don't, I'm not sure if that album was cut before we did the music shop. Was it? That was before did you, you do your homework. I did my homework. You, you <laughs> tell were me, a, tell okay. Me. When did okay, I I'm, I'm going to tell you. So you played on a uh, the, because Brett Rowan was the regular guitar player on the show at yeah, that he, point. He's, yeah, he's been. And 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 there was a special episode of the show where y'all were the band instead. Yeah. And then later on on, on the next season, Brett Rowan was gone, and and you were mm-hmm. the guitar player on the show. Yeah, we started. Uh, I'm not sure how that circumstance, the circumstance around that, but we started. And um, at that point, Mark was doing a, an album, and you know he was aware of you know my plan and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He was, you know, a, a fan, or I was a f- fan, but probably a fan. I can say that. I guess I was a fan of his. <laughs> Certainly. But yeah, he said he, you know he was wanted to do this really. He wanted to, he had this thing in his head. He wanted to do the fastest tempo ever. Okay. And he had a song, and of course he could, you know, he can play that tempo and double time it, mm-hmm. you know. And we're going, oh, he's going to, we're, we're going to be ready to pull our hair out of our heads, you know, if we get on this one, because, you know, he he was scary to us. Yeah. <laughs> he scared us. Marco Connor, what's yeah. he cutting? What's he going to do? Oh, you know, like yeah. train beats at 200 bpms you know and like you know you count that off count off one 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 <laughs> okay so he did that song this song you know called pick it apart and uh we played and i remember walking into i think it was cut a music mill in the studio and uh, paul lime was playing who who was relentless he won't let up on it at all when he when you start a tempo he stays with it and i was thinking oh his drummer he'll slow it down just a little bit yeah. you know and, and have mercy on us no and the song lasted when you did your solo. By the time you were worn out, there was a place where it stopped and you played by yourself for about two bars after you already played everything you know and your fingers were about ready to bleed and fly off your hands, you know. So we, it was like, oh my God. And it was like, my hand, you know, it was like, you know. And we played this song. So then they thought, oh, I finally got a good solo on that. You know, that's it. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. He goes, now we're going to do it live. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, he played it in the American Music Shop, and we played it. And there was yeah. another cool song that he had done, uh, uh, a swing song. Or something. Yes. I can't remember the name of it. But that was, that was fun. I, I enjoyed that. So, yeah, that, and that album, you know, is still people refer to that song. Mm-hmm. It's, and they say, could you pl- play me that um, because I, I do, you know, do some occasional Skype lessons. I started doing those, by the okay. way, which is 
and and then they're always going, could you play Pick It Apart? <laughs> and I go, oh, no, don't. Here it is again. Come back to haunt me. Because <laughs> it, it was like blistering. And, you know, so that's that's how popular that song was and is. It's yeah. been around a long time, and they still, it still holds up. But, yeah, it was, Mark was, he was scary from another planet, yeah. <laughs> you know. He just looks to me like when he gets, he's just, he's just getting stronger and stronger. It's like, you can see like he's getting shot, you know, like Superman or something. He's coming out of the booth now and he's, he's a, you know, he's still playing. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like sweating blood. <laughs> I'm next after this. So, yeah, it was fun. So, Mark's great. Yeah, so you, so you played on that and then, and then you, uh, you started being the, the regular guitar player on the American Music Shop and of course got to play with a, you know, a whole cavalcade of, of, uh, of, of great artists there. And uh, and then also, you know, things started really taking off with these new artists that you had played with, like Brooks and Dunn, Alan mm -hmm. and Alan Jackson, and, and such, mm -hmm. and Trisha Yearwood. Mm -hmm. was I loved one. Uh, those. Were, I, one of my some of my favorite stuff was with Trisha Yearwood. Yeah, like what? Oh, well, when we cut him over sound emporium with Garth Funnish, like all those songs, like uh, Walk Away Joe, and oh yeah, she's with Don love. Henley. Yeah, yeah, and she's in love with a boy, and uh, and. Uh, uh, wrong side of Memphis. Yeah, wrong side of Memphis. You know, yeah. there you go, man. Yeah, you you're, yeah. you know, you know about it. Yeah. But those musics, that you know, why it was good. There was so much space in it. There was, it wasn't like a jam with a bunch of, you know, we got to put banjos, five banjos on this, and two electric guitars pounding, mm -hmm. you know, and drums that's out here. So we got to get wide. You know, everything's kind of like <laughs> now. It's like going to blow. You know, like sonic. A boom or something. Yeah. Back then, it was like we were sitting, you know, and it was like, she's in love, you know, or like, uh, just a walk away, Joe. You could hear breath and you could hear the space in it and guitar, you know, I thought, wow, this is really good. Those records were so good because they had so much space in them and taste. Everybody was playing, nobody really talked about where the fills were going to be. We just played so much with each other. Uh, it was just like what we call bobbing and weaving around everybody. You know, he, Matt Rollins would play a little something, I followed up with a little of this, and then Paul would come in with a doo, you know, one note mm -hmm. swoop up or something. And it was like it really was a nice soup all mixed, stirred in there and, and made beautiful music. And that I loved Garth Fundus, you know, for, for making those kind of records. Because yeah. he had worked with Don Williams. Don well that's probably yeah. where it came from. Yeah. Don Williams records are with hardly anything on it. Yes. Very sparse. Just it was all about his voice. Yeah. It was, you know, this large, you know, yeah. large voice. Your work with Alan Jackson starts to kind of blow up, and I'm just going to list off a few of the hits that, that you played on with, with Alan Jackson. So there was Chattahoochee, Gone Country, Tall Tall Trees, Chasing That Neon Rainbow, Don't Rock the Jukebox, Living on Love, Summertime Blues, Here in the Real World, Mercury Blues, Little Bitty, Who's Cheating Who, Papa Top, uh, Where I Come From, uh, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning, uh, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere, Remember When, all these... And you were such a big part of Alan's sound, mm -hmm. just a part of a, his sonic, you know, kind of signature. The guitar was so, and it was such a kind of a counterpoint to to his mm -hmm. vocal. Beautiful records. How, how oh, did you thanks. how did you feel about having that role in in on those records? It's it sort of got into that. I, I was thinking. I mean, I, I don't want it to always to be about me. You know, I thought maybe right. maybe this should start out with Pig Robbins on the piano because mm -hmm. Pig was playing on it. He was playing right. some wonderful stuff. 
But Alan was a fan of low guitar notes and stuff, you know, like twangy. Like Don Rich. Yeah, and I, 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 a lot of times, I, I never realized that Dwayne Eddy was, I always liked his record because he had this fat, low, you know, you know, low sound. And I, I always noticed, I, you know, but that's what makes records sound cool is those always start off with a low guitar note. Mm -hmm. And I, I give credit to him on that because, you know, those back those records that he had and I always I kind of went for low notes too yeah. just, it seemed like it took command of testosterone low notes you know yeah. and, and 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 Alan liked those notes too yeah. can I impose on you to play like the intro to like Chattahoochee or, or oh or yeah well it was uh, it was like uh, you know here's the weird thing it was in C I yeah. think it was in D and I'd come up you know but but he said well, we gotta move it that's a little too high we move it down to C and I went well, I didn't want to tune. Yeah. I didn't have a baritone ready, so I, I'll just, here's, I just went uh, uh, like. Uh. Way down yonder yeah. in the Chattahoochee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but it was. You know, sliding it instead of going. Mm -hmm. And I probably could have tuned down to C, but I, I didn't have my low, uh, heavy gauge telly there with me. I had another one, you know, with lower. Yeah. But so that's where it's, that's, it's stuck yeah. in a C, that, that's where it stayed. Yeah. And that was the lick. I think, here's the funny thing. I think I, I had, I had stuff like, uh, <laughs> I had uh, fancier licks on it, I think. Okay. I was going. <laughs> Sal goes, well, you need to, that's, I think that's a little too, too many notes. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. He said, yeah, you know, maybe just keep it simple. So, Alan, so I went back to my days at the Stagecoach Lounge where I was yeah. playing. So Alan Jackson was, was giving you some input yeah, on yeah. this, not just. Yeah, I was going, it wasn't that many. I was, yeah. I was being a little over, overzealous yeah. there, but it was, it just had a little. Yeah. Maybe something like yeah. that. Yeah. And he just, no, just keep on. That's all you need. Yeah. And he's right. That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> if it's you know, it's what they say. If it's not, if you can't hum it, it's yeah. not, it won't be memorable with a, with a, with a bunch of scattered notes in it. So it was pretty simple and melodic. So on, on those Alan Jackson records, you've got uh, Keith Stegall and uh, and Scott Hendricks. I guess was involved in some of the early. Yeah, ones. the early ones. Scott yeah. and Keith. Yeah. You know, but but you were getting guitar input even from Alan Jackson. He was he was giving you a little yeah bit on of that him. one yeah. anyway. Okay. And you know as in. But, but I mean, when he would talk to me about what he liked, it, yeah. it started to hone in on, okay, it started to turn into Alan Jackson, this is what you play on his record. Yeah. With, along with, you know, the way I play. Yeah. But he appreciated, you know, the, the old, like, Don Rich styles and, and, you know, and the old, you know, Merle Haggard records yeah. and stuff like that. And, you so, know, he, he liked that stuff. So it, it seems like you you kind of have had like an Alan Jackson hat that you put on when you when you play yeah. on his records. It was like this is the way I play yeah. when I'm playing with Alan Jackson. Yeah, and you kind of followed through. Okay. Uh, with Brooks and Dunn, uh, there were some of the uh, cuts like <laughs> "Brand New Man," "She's Not the Cheating Kind," "There Ain't No Way to Go," "Boot Scootin' Boogie," "My Next Broken Heart," right. "Neon Moon." I always liked uh, "Neon Moon" because you kind of had that little kind of popcorn guitar part that you played the little percussive things yeah. that you played. You know. I say, uh, if I knew a little verse, I could do it, but I, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't recall what that it was. was. But you're right; it was a yeah. muted part. Yeah. 
Um, and that was, that was direct. That, yeah. that for some reason that I went up to do an overdub with Scott Hendricks and uh, it was a studio, Boogie Studio Pro direct. They had the sliding EQs on, yes. you know, the black face yes. one. That's what that was. And it, it, yeah. I was pretty amazed how that sounded like it was a Fender amp. Yeah. Was, was that a Strat that you played on that, on that one? Or was that your yeah, talent? it was yeah. a Strat. Okay. An another thing that happened in, in this uh, early 90s time period was, uh, uh, again, our, our last guest on the True Tone Lounge was Reggie Young. Right. And uh, Reg that. Reggie talked about uh, going uh, out on the road with the Highwaymen. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, he, uh, he had been playing on all of George Strait stuff. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he was not available because he was out with the Highwaymen. Right. And so all of a sudden, you started playing with George Strait. Yeah, but I, I don't think it was. I think that's what it was is they'd switch producers. Because Bowen. I was had... working with Tony Brown. Right. And Tony brought brought some new guys in on. Okay. Uh, not that I mean he you know he okay. loved Reggie and all, but I, yeah. a lot of times you know the hey uh, uh, if you want a new producer you know you don't want to bring the same guys Bowen that that right you know you're using his right his th his mojo if you're doing that Bowen so you want to set up your own yeah. thing and create your own sound so that's what it was okay and it could have been a just in general a whole thing that the record label wanted to do and George who knows yeah. But it was more about, you know, well, I don't think it was because he wasn't available. It was more having mm -hmm. to do with the change of producer yeah. from I mean, but that, that, but that's all our All us musicians are always paranoid about that. If paranoid we go out and do it, yeah, yeah, if we're out on the road, you know, okay. and you get called for a couple, and then that's it, we lost the account. Yeah, yeah. We always had that scare, like, if you, I can't go out there. None of us could take vacations. Yeah. We were scared to death. So we knew, everybody knew about that. So when we'd find out somebody had a vacation set up to yeah. go to, you know, to Miami or something, we'd go, hey, I got some dates, some yeah. double master dates on June 22nd through the 29th. Can you, we knew that exactly when they were going to take their vacations with the wives and stuff. <laughs> no, no, don't tell me it's that, those dates. No, please, man, no. Yeah, they can't move them. <laughs> it was uh, it was so funny. That's yeah. how that's how scared we were to even take vacations back in the nineties. Nobody could even take vacations. Okay, we were scared. That's all it takes. They called me for a you know a, a, rec a Shania Twain record or something. I can't do it, and my life's over. Yeah, you know that's that's back then. There was they'd sit down and do records for weeks, every day. You know, Mutt Lang would work all day. Okay, let's let's talk about that for a minute. So. Uh, in the 90s, it was, you know, country music, you know, more than exploded. And, you know, budgets for recording became much bigger than they had been before. So, mm -hmm. so how long would you typically spend, you know, cutting a, cutting a record in the 90s? Well, I mean, it, it, each, different producers had different methods. And, uh, and uh, you know, stuff like Alan Jackson didn't take, because, I mean, it, you know, it's country music and, you know, it plays itself. And Keith would just get the basic tracks and a lot of solos we would do later. He said, you know, we'd be over there messing with stuff and almost get something really cool. And mm -hmm. I said, well, we got to get the next song. I can't be sitting here for, you know, right. really getting the ultimate solo. So, yeah. and I just tracking. knew, yeah. yeah, I mean, why not, you know, go back and just get that amp set up, put a few mics around it, and experiment, and get the big, you know, this is a solo, you know, you can, you know, not, not that you can't get a solo. Sometimes off-the-cuff solos are the best, but, but sometimes they're not. Yeah. <laughs> and I always, I always thought, man, if I was doing a record, I'm not gonna 
settle with, if I was doing an instrumental record, I wouldn't settle with a solo I just played right away. Or maybe on some, if it was that kind of a blues thing or something. But at most songs, I want to come and really make, you know, really get the ultimate solo. I can do it, you know, cut the tracks. The tracks were all cut in the same room, but do the solos later. And that's what Keith did with Alan. You know, a lot of times we just did the solos. Now, that's his way, and we'd cut like, two tracks, maybe three even in one session, but you know, at least two and a half or get one started for lunch, two and a half. Now, and producers like Mutt Lang uh, would work on an intro all the way up to three o'clock maybe after lunch and we didn't get an intro done yet. So, and uh, so and I'm not saying yeah. that in a negative way, that's just yeah. the way he died. And you know, I understand that why he did that because a lot of records we cut, we we did back then. We were playing on time. Oh, there's a fiddle player on this record. Oh shoot. Oh yeah. I'm sorry, Rob. I didn't. <laughs> you know, we were cutting records so fast. We were, and they still do them them pretty fast. I mean, now they're it's like they're doing more uh, micromanaging things a little more. But Mutt had sonic spaces for everybody. He wanted you off to hit a chord, and when that backbeat would go snare, he, he said. He says, you need to get off that note when the snare hits, you know. I don't, you know, the guitar needs to come off of that note. And we'll go, oh, okay, shoot. You know, so, and we'd be doing it all day, because now he was on to something else, so I'd be playing on, you know, like a... You know, and you'd be off. And after a while, I go, was I supposed to get off on the end of two or two? I don't know, he's, he probably won't remember, but I'm just playing, because that was two hours ago, and he goes, oh, Remember, remember, end of two, you're off, off of that. And I go, oh, I thought, how's he remember this? Because he never wrote wrote anything out. You know, I mean, you could write it out, you know, like they did in LA, and then you, you it's right there on paper. But we, he, he did it all by memory. But but he had it, and when you when you heard him do the the, the music, it made its own sound, and it was you go, that's that's why this guy makes hits. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got a, a sonic space. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes the record bigger. Nobody's plowing over somebody else in this register, you know. So it was. It was so Mutt Lang was was very much about you know being very choosy about where each instrument yeah, was, yeah, yeah. so that it, it could be as big as possible. Yeah, each, yeah, it's exactly right. And it got frustrating sometimes. I mean, Dan Huff and I were sitting there, and we were ready to just throw our guitars on you know against the wall. You know, Dan's a real sweet guy and, and polite, and I see him just like ready to. <laughs> <laughs> and walk out, and I said, come on back, man, it's cool. We'll get this, and, you know, then I would do it, and i go, oh. Yeah. But here's the thing, he was really kind about it. You know, there's producers that look at you and clench their jaws and go, you gonna get this or what? Mm -hmm. well, you know, and, and then you're intimidated, but he was, he says, he goes, no, we're gonna be working on this for a while. You want me, can I get you some coffee or something? Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, do you wanna take a break? We're, we're, you know, we're, this, we're gonna be working on this for two hours. Real sweet yeah. guy. Yeah, and you know, a loving, sweet guy. You know, you, you know, it's like, and he made you feel relaxed. But you, you, you just knew his work ethic, and it, it was going to take a while. Every resonance of every note, and every, when you're off on it, and how loud it was, and the vibrato. You know, it was like, wow. It, it gets kind of strenuous sometimes, but yeah. but but when it was all done, you go, wow, that worked. Yeah. Of course, you you played on Shania's two, you know, big big records. That don't impress me much. That, that don't impress me yeah. much. Yeah. That was a, that was a, I remember that because I played. That was the first solo I played off the cuff. You know that well, whatever it was. It had that yeah. kind of Amos Garrett lick in it. Yeah. 
And Mutt kept that. I said, because this is crazy, you know, because I just said we work on intros for two hours. How are you going to get a solo in two minutes? So, you know, that can't happen. Yeah. And he kept it. I thought, well, I think, guys, I think he's going to take solo. This is, he's, we're on, we, we've made him a new guy here. He's going to love every solo we do. Not. Not. <laughs> Back to, don't, yeah. no, don't, don't do the solo now. We're going to be working on that later. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times the solos were me and then it would slip into a Larry Byram slide thing. Okay. So it was a hybrid a mix of, you know, not all the time, but there, there could be that. So, you know, it's yeah. like Dan Huff or, you know, and there was one that went stuff like that. And I think that was, that was me being frustrated. Okay. I was going, okay, I'll get it. Okay, just, just count it off. And he kept that on the intro or something. That. I don't, Yeah. you remember that song, what it was? It had that, it was like, you know, the Ventures lick. Yeah. <laughs> it was. So. Uh, it was a frustration lick. <laughs> Besides, of course, things having their own sonic space, what were some other things that you learned from working with a you know, legendary producer like Mutt Lang? Well, I, I, uh, we just, just what you said, sonic space, you know. Yeah. Listen to everything and uh, um, build, build in a verse and, you know, maybe, you know. James Stroud used to joke with, he used to do a graph. Like, okay, boys, verse down here and then it go. Pre-chorus right here. Chorus. Up here, second verse. And he'd yeah. draw it on a piece of paper. You know, he's joking around. Yeah. But it made sense. Yeah. So Mutt was all about that, you know, air in there, the groove, and where, you know, the bass and the kick were playing. And and all of a sudden, you really didn't even, you said, well, this thing sounds good, and there's not even an other instrument in it yet that feels right for a verse. Mm -hmm. So, he, you know, he taught about, you know, building dynamics of, of a song. Yeah. You know, he learned a lot of that. Of course, the song has some, yeah. somewhere to go. If somewhere you, to you go, exactly. You didn't, didn't blow spot. it out before, you know, you got to the first chorus or, or next verse or whatever. Ninety-seven, you made your first solo record. It's called Hotwired. Mm -hmm. So it was with Mercury. So how did it was out through uh, Keith Keith Steagall? Yeah, that you, Keith, uh, Keith uh, yeah. said, "Let's do an instrumental record." And it was like yeah. they already had the there was an MCA Master Series yes. records. Yeah, um, I don't know why I didn't uh, join up ranks with that. It was but it was cool. But Keith was uh, he was VP of uh, Mercury Records over there. Luke Lewis was heading it up and they they wanted to do a record so we did a record on the main label it wasn't a, a little boutique label or a label or a subsidiary it was right with uh, mercury and we had hot wired it was fun we did it yeah we did it we did it <laughs> so you know but then at the same time you, you do a solo record but then you're kind of married to the studio Mm -hmm. And so you can't, you know, it's not like you can really go out and do a lot of promo no, shows and, and, and tour behind. No, I really couldn't. Like and I did yeah. a, we, you know, I'd do, do a few shows. Yeah. Um, but no, I could, I couldn't do, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And but the record wasn't, you know, it could, it could have been. I, I remember getting calls from jazz radio stations. Man, we love that Blue Water Girl. Could we? 
that could be a jazz. But then the rest, then there was stuff like Hotwired on it, you know, that was country. So it was pretty crazy. It was me, because I, you know, I'm about, there's no boundaries what I, you know, I'll I'll go out and play something and I feel like I ain't going for a record deal. I'm just going to go from a jazz thing to a, you know, to a hillbilly chicken picking song or whatever. Yeah. I just like, that's me, I like to do that. So, I mean, you know, and everybody's shooting for a record label. You gotta, you gotta be pigeonholed into a certain thing. Or, no, don't be doing that, man, stick to this. You know, everybody's telling you what you need to do. So I felt, Keith was just letting me just take charge of that, you know. I never felt pressure to, uh, to have to go out and perform them, you know, because that was the height of my session career, you know. So that was bread and butter. Yeah. So, the hits kind of, you know, you continue to play on a bun- bunch of records. By then you have, like, Toby Keith coming along. You mm-hmm. have I-, I Love This Bar, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, kind of that Bender kind of intro on mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, continue to play on, on songs. Then you, uh, you finally get to win a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was, uh, well, through, that was Brad. Yeah, Brad Paisley. Brad Paisley, who uh, put some of his uh, telly favorites together. You know, I was on there with a bunch of other cats that, you know. Um, James Burton and Albert Lee and oh, yeah, on and on and on. Yeah. I went and played on, you know, Brad was there and we, we did a little part. I didn't hear a lot of the other players on there, so I did my part. I wonder what he's going to play. Mm-hmm. I bet if I heard something else, I might have to amp mine up yeah. a little bit. Because, <laughs> you know, it was done at different times. I don't know. They, Brad, I guess they probably cut the, it was out the castle. They probably cut yeah. the tracks. You, you might have been out there on. Was you working on that was, crew I at that time? At that point, yeah. Okay, and uh, I went I went home. And I said that'll be cool. You know, he's gonna have an instrumental. I didn't realize that uh, it was up for a Grammy. I think I was driving home, and somebody said, "Are you are you gonna attend the the dinner for the Grammy?" You know, I go Grammy, and I'm thinking, did I play? Did I do something an instrumental or something that's up for a Grammy? And wow. And they said, no, it's, it's, it's Brad Paisley. I go, oh, wow, that's cool. And I'm thinking, you'll probably win it. <laughs> it's Brad Paisley, you know, you'll probably win that thing. And he did. So we got a Grammy. You know, and I thought, well, surely you won't, we probably won't get a trophy or anything. They probably won't, they won't do that. Well, we got a trophy. You know, yeah. right there it is, uh, Grammy. So I, I guess everybody got one. Yeah. You know. Everyone the, grab them while the they're hot. Yeah, grab them while they're hot. Get you a grab. Come and get one over there. Yeah. So you mentioned before that the you know during the '90s that uh, you were afraid to even take a vacation and 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 such and just mm-hmm. kind of the the insanity of it and 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 how much were you working at that point? Oh, it was. I was working too much. I mean, a good problem, but I mean, my I look like uh, one of the. Zombies on Walking Dead, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, coming home from, you know, and then you got, you know, the, we're going to have a, some family come over. You go, oh, please, uh, let's let me sleep. <laughs> you know, we, but you got to get out there and mow the grass here or whatever. There's some, you know, domestic duties to be, it was, I was just too tired. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was too much, I, I think. I mean, I like, I don't. I appreciate the space. I mean, you want to have, you know, you want to be able to put groceries on the table and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we were making, you know, it was a, it was a, a heightened of everything at that time. You know, before everybody had the, you know, the problems of digital downloads. There wasn't all that digital thing going on. There was physical right. album sales yes. and 
We were we were doing sessions with the best catered food, and you want a massage before you guys want to eat, or you want to do the massage after dinner? Well, yeah. how, can we have both yeah. while we're eating? Cause, no, <laughs> but it, we were all spoiled, right? And uh, but we worked all the time, you know, and we we barely saw our families. Yeah, and we were in town. <laughs> that that seemed to be the problem with with a road musician, but we had that problem. We were you know no more than a few miles away because we never got out of the studio. I think they had the, the, those days too back in the, you know, Owen Bradley days and mm -hmm. too they all worked. Uh, they were like, that was their family they worked. You know, they did four sessions a day. Yeah. So we were kind of in that. 90s where it was like pounding good yeah. and a lot of music, a lot of, a lot of, you know, we're making as much as doctors and lawyers money, you know, it was like, wow, you know, sock it away because, you know, it's, yeah. You know, you never know how long it's going to last. But yeah, it was a strong time back then. But we were it, it was wearing on us. And I remember I did a, just in relation to that, uh, George Strait record uh, where I played like a gut string Spanish part, you know. I don't know if it was, uh, I, I forget what song yeah, it I was. I just want to dance with you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man. You got some kind of clairvoyance here. Yes, you do, I do. I do. No, but that's what it's it was. a special but, hair piece. But okay. <laughs> well, at the at that that came out, and we did. There was an artist called Tracy Bird, mm -hmm. and he. I did some kind of a, a lick or a solo on a Tracy Bird record. I don't know what that was, but uh, it might have been an album. Cut. But in, in fact, I think it was a single. And somehow, it, it whether it was done a year apart. They came out at the same time, and the, and I had the same kind of a lick on the, each single, oh. and they, I think they were like coming close to each other in the charts. Oh my god! And they goodness. go, I heard this lick that you yeah. played. Isn't that what you played on Tracy Bird too? Or, yeah. They go, yeah. Oh god. So wow. that that can be a problem, you know, when it, you're doing so be, many, you're, you're running playing, around. Yeah, when doing, you're playing that many sessions, and then it, sometimes inevitably it would seem like you would end up, you know, playing a similar part on another yeah, record. Yeah, it, it's yeah. done. Yeah. And. Because there's what, only five parts you can play on a country record, right? There's <laughs> only five. So, that's, that's one. That's one. With, with some, oh no, it's a, it's a, it's a, this is it. That's country. Okay, that's one. Let's, give me, give me two. What's, what's, what's lick number two? It's, where you go. And then. There's a fume in front of me, and then it's that. <laughs> and then number three. Or, uh, <laughs> that's three, and that's okay. that might be it. Okay. So, at what point did uh, did the business did things change? You know, from the the heyday of the '90s, when did things kind of you know uh, you know change? You know, because you talked about digital downloading and things like that, and. I guess you had the well, recording-wise. Yeah. I mean, I, th yeah. I think it's when all Pro Tools came in, you know, and, and uh, tape machines went away. Yeah. And the, and you can manipulate manipulate music a lot more. So, and I think in pop music they were doing those using the you know the tuning vocals, hard tuning, and mm -hmm. it was I think shared come out with some record that was a real hard tune. It was kind of hip, and everybody right. was doing it. Yeah. Now you're Kanye West and them doing it. It's just their records now. It was <clears throat> so. I think when, and then they were taking records and 
there'd be a drummer in there playing, and all of a sudden he'd, he'd listen to himself play on the record. He'd go, that's not even me. They took my snare. That's not my snare. So everybody's kind of playing God with the music, you know, like, you know, so to speak. And, and after that, I think it was just, it was so manipulated. The music was played, and after the fact, somebody was monkeying with it and messing with it, and all of a sudden that became the main thing to do with the music is to see how, how you could screw with it with a computer. And, it, you know, music was more computerized and had that effect to it. And it just changed that although in Nashville we were still cutting tracks in the studio, and we still do that, you know. But I mean, it's kind of even getting away from that a little bit. You know, we're it's programmed drums now, and it's kind of sad, you know, because there's nothing like sitting with a bunch of guys and creating music in one room. So, yeah, so when, when things, you know, with the Pro Tools and, and uh, you know, p computer recording and stuff like that, and... Uh, Nuendo and all that stuff, it, it kind of took a different direction. Yeah. And, you know, and it sort of parlayed into, you know, great careers for people and, and set a precedent of this is what music is now and we got to follow a, we follow that trend, you know. It, it seems like it was turning into yeah. pop music, is what it was, turning into what, what pop music was. At least the top 40 was more computerized. Uh, uh, perfectioned, uh, manipulated music. Even the vocals weren't, uh, you didn't have to be a great singer, they could just tune you up. Mm -hmm. it seems like e editing became such an important yeah. part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it was like, who, who could resist, you know, here, the engineer going away and, and you know, can, what's that new software? You can, you, can, you can tune them up, you can tune them up and pocket it and put them in the pocket and, and, or even change the key and not the tempo. Let's do that with this song then, because I always thought it needed to be slower, but I like the key, you know. Yeah. It's like, well, shouldn't we check with the artists? Or no, no, no. This is what we need. Yeah. No, they, they'll. I'll, I'll, have, I'll talk to them later. They'll, they'll agree. I mean, you know. Because yeah. their career, their their record label career is on the line. They're going to agree. No, but you know, all that's I'm kidding around. But yeah. I mean, it's 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 so formulated now. Yeah. And, and manipulated and uh, processed and. Yeah. Earlier today, I think you were doing a uh, an overdub session for uh, for Blake Shelton. Yeah, correct? this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. still a, a and that was, but that yeah, that was pretty cool. No, Scott had uh, Scott Hendricks had texted me said, "Hey, we want to do a solo." I mean, I ain't go to divulge too much because it's you know, uh, right. we his new. Yeah, we don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, but uh, yeah, I just it was it was kind of a. Sound like a record single kind of thing. They just wanted to. There was about an eight bar solo, or no, it was about four bar, but a long. It, was, it seemed like a pretty long solo, so I, mm -hmm. I gave him about five different kinds of solos on it. One that was kind of amped up, and the one that was kind of more country, and then one had a. I kind of made a hot one with a with a harmony note mm -hmm. at the end of it, and it was it was pretty cool. So I think they got a, some ideas with this song, and you know, so I did that this morning. So that's very interesting. So you're called in to do, you know, overdubbing, and you give them options as far as you yeah, know, I can play. So well, I know Scott. You know, I mean, Scott always likes to be there when you're doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I thought well, he's putting some trust in me to, but well, we I've known him for years. You know, and right. I thought that was kind of unlike him to really trust me into doing it because I thought, well, where you, when do you want to do it? Can we get? He goes, no, you just do it. And uh, you know, I said, "Well, I'll give you some. I'll give you some playlists, some options." You know, he goes, "Cool." So I told him this morning, he goes, "Yeah, I'll, 
He says, you excited about it? I said, yeah, I think you'll like it. I mean, I gave you some options. You know, I wasn't sure, you know, what they might want. So it's always good to give them some stuff to play with. Or and he says, also, if you want to put one to comp one, put one together, you know. So we kind of did. I did start my, checkmark my favorite one mm -hmm. and sent it. What are some of the most important lessons that you've learned from producers and other players in your long career as a session man? A good producer will, and I'm going to go, I'm going to use Emery Gordy. Emery, Emery Gordy did yes. all Patty Loveless Played with records Elvis. and a lot of great, Emery, Emery Gordy Jr. I always thought he, and years ago when we worked, he did George Jones and all things. I thought he was a, he did a cool thing. He would get a demo of the song that he wanted to cut. And of course the demos, you know, you could copy a demo because that's what they got excited about anyway, a lot of people. But he, he brought it in, but he would do his own little simple acoustic demo with a little bass on it, you know. You know, or play something and kind of set the mood, but it wasn't like, there was a, a demo that he had, but he, he let the players go out there and interpret, interpret the song the way they felt it, you know. Right. And it would come out kind of cool because you, you kind of would play off what you, the sound of the guitar you had that day. Whatever your guitar sounded like, that might inspire you to, to come up with a part for it. And, uh, and some records really came out nice because of that. Now, if they didn't, then he'd go, yeah, guys, I, uh, this thing ain't going exactly. Let's, let's, let's hear it. There is a demo on this, so let's hear it. So he would kindly... Yeah. Bringing the oh wow he said let's let's go ahead and do it like this but he gave us the room to explore that's what's I I really like that about Nashville that we are part of the creative process in the records here as opposed to you know David Foster or somebody they write out of the parts are great parts but you play your parts right. uh, Nashville well, I mean it's a different kind of music but Nashville gave you some space to create a, a you know an intro or something or or have some input on the creation of the song, some creative input, and I would, you know, we'd say, how about if we go up a minor third for the solo and play that, and then we mod back, and you go, that's a great idea, because I, uh, I think it was a summer Alan Jackson record, uh, Where Were You, uh, I think, when it modded up a third to play, because it was kind of the same chords over and over, and I said, hey, why don't we go up a fourth and play this, you know, mod up fourth for the soul steel solo, and then we'll come back down for the verse again. So that yeah. made the song not so uh, linear and with, with the, you yeah. know. I'm gonna be clairvoyant, it's a remember when. <laughs> okay, it was a remember when? Yeah. Okay. That's no, I, well, evidently Lloyd, I didn't remember yeah, when. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was Lloyd Green played You're that. right. Yeah. And it went, yeah. It went You're up. freaky, man. Yeah, I know, I'm freaky. I don't know what yeah. we need to yeah. do with you. Yeah, I don't know either. It's a special <laughs> talent. But so, that was, yeah. you're right, it was. Yeah. And Lloyd Green, well, I, I came up with that idea of, of Modding it up. Well, it was a great Didn't idea. Didn't you think it was a good idea? I think it was a great idea because the tune was kind of repetitive. No yeah. offense to anyone involved. Yeah. But Zach, what am I going to do next week on, on this song? Do you have any idea? Could you predict that for me? You're going to go down a whole step. <laughs> you're just saying, just take a vacation. Yeah, I'm, I'm I think it's a good time. It's a good time. Can, it's a good time to take a vacation. No, that's, but you're right. It was that. So yeah. you corrected me on yeah. that. What you needed to be. Well, so, that's all at all. so Emery Gordy Jr. gave you that, that advice. What, uh, what are some other advice that you got from players or producers that have uh, stuck with you? Just, you know, having a good rapport with, you know, not any, okay, I can say this. If a producer comes and brings a bad attitude in the session, he's just ruining his own session. So, mm -hmm. you know, a smart thing is, is just to create an environment where everybody's 
laughing and everybody appreciates anybody. Don't try to intimidate anybody. You'll get great music that way. If somebody sets a, a bad vibe or something, you know, it's not, you won't get the good performance out of musicians, you know. And I've, I don't see that much. You know, I see great producers, but there was the days when, you know, there was a few that, that just irked us and, and ticked us off a lot. And we, we got, and he lost his session because of that. Nobody wanted to, didn't feel like playing music because music's about fun and feeling and, and we just wanted to go in there and maybe choke them <laughs> and break some bones, you know. And, and luckily we didn't, we didn't do that, of course. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, it's just setting that friendly environment and you know, like, it's, you know, we're homeboys and, you know, this is fun and let's just enjoy this and we'll make some good music, you know, and don't yeah. feel embarrassed to throw an idea out, you know. I, somebody, uh, I'll go on to say this, uh, players go, what do you do in a session that, you know? I said, well, the one thing you do is just, because it is about putting ideas and help in the creation of the song, don't be shy to throw an idea in there. It might, they might go, no, we don't want to do that. You know, and then you go, oh, and you hang your head and go, oh, that was stupid. No, they will never call me. No, because everybody's doing that. You know, it's like, you, yeah, you might not use that idea, but then the next idea they might, that made the song, brother. That's, that was great. Yeah. So never be shy about throwing in an idea in the hat. It may get kicked out or, you know, but may be great for the song, on, you know, who knows? You know, so don't be intimidated or feel that just, it, we're all big family. We, 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 you know, we're all happy to see each other when we, you know, we're different settings. There's, there's a lot of musicians, a lot of rhythm sections that we would come in and go, hey, uh, you know, hey, Jimmy Lee Slows, you know, on bass. And, you know, I, good to see you, man. And we all tell some stories about, you know, and then we sit down and play great music. And then we'll come in and work with somebody else and happy to see them. It's like one big family. It's a yeah. big family and... It, pretty cool you get make great music like that this has been an audio presentation by true tone truetone.com